0: Can you guys believe this? In less than a month, Christmas will have come and gone. Just think about that. Christmas will have come and will have gone. And for those of us who are adults, <clears throat> here's what we all know the days leading up to Christmas will seem like they're flying by. In fact, some of you are already like, man, I can't believe Thanksgiving is already here. And next thing you know, Christmas is just, <laughs> right? It's just flying by. But here's what I know for our kids, for our kids, especially if you have little ones, right? The next 28 days will feel like an eternity, or as uh, we uh, remember in the sandlot, it'll feel like forever, forever. If have not seen it, have got to see it. So, um, And waiting was exactly what Christmas was like as a kid, right? I mean, the truth was that we weren't really waiting to celebrate the birth of Jesus or um, really looking forward to time with our family. Maybe you were one of those good kids that, you know, if you were to admit it, you were, you were one of those that, like, yeah, I'm, oh Christmas, I'm really excited to see all my family. But for the most part, the little kids, they're really excited about seeing what's hidden inside the Christmas-wrapping-covered boxes underneath the tree. In fact, let's have a little confession time today. You know, we're in church. Uh, how many of you got so impatient for for Christmas that you, when you were a kid, you actually searched for your gifts that your parents, yeah, yeah, oh, oh goodness gracious. Um, okay, since we're all being honest here, and I will forgive everyone, including my own children, uh, how many of you actually found the presents? Oh, man, <laughs> how many, and then how many of you actually tried finding out what was inside? All right, now. You don't have to admit this, but how many of you actually were daring enough to unwrap and look inside? Like, oh, my own wife. Oh, my goodness gracious. (laughs) That's right. Well, she doesn't like surprises. She doesn't like surprises. And the great thing for all of us is that no matter how slow this season went by and no matter how long it seemed to take until we got to Christmas, we always got there, right? Christmas always arrived. Of course, there was a lot of waiting, but Christmas morning eventually arrived for all of us. Now, the thing about waiting is that when we're waiting for something, depending on what we're waiting for, it can be a time of anticipation and excitement, or it can be a time of fear and agony. But either way, the one thing we all have in common when it comes to waiting is that nobody likes to wait just recently, I've been uh, trying to schedule an appointment with my cardiologist, and uh, <laughs> the, I, was, I called the scheduling line, and they had me on for like 20 minutes. And then, as I heard someone pick up to, you know, basically, I was excited, because, you know, the music was like, and it just, it just keeps on playing, 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 and all of a sudden, click, click, and I hear it, and I'm like, hello, and then guess what? Dalton <laughs> and so I had to call back and wait in line, wait on hold again, right? And 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 nobody likes waiting. Nobody likes waiting. And have you ever have you ever had to wait on food that seemed to be taking forever? Has anyone ever like been waiting on yeah. Look, I just saw a video um recently on YouTube of uh Gordon Ramsay. Uh it was one of the shows where he's like helping the kitchen and, and they were having a backup in the kitchen and uh they 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 were delayed by two hours, right? And, and so uh, the people waiting for their food decided to order pizza and have it delivered to this fine dining restaurant. And of course, the restaurant staff was offended. It was funny. If you, you just watch it like Gordon Ramsay, order pizza, whatever. Just, it's on YouTube. Of course, the re- restaurant staff was like, excuse me, you cannot have this. But as the pizza was being walked in, like everyone in the restaurant was <laughs> because everyone was being affected by it. Why? Because nobody likes to wait. Anyone here a Costco member? Costco member? I, do I even have to tell you what illustration I'm using when it comes to Costco? The lines, right? In fact, I like Costco. To be truth, truth be told, I do like Costco better than Sam's, but I, I'll probably never go back to Costco because uh, they don't have Scan and Go like Sam's Club does. Where you can—I don't know if you know this. Some of you, I might convert you right here today. But Sam's Club, you can—they have a Scan and Go app, and you can scan. And then just, you could avoid the lines, right? But nobody likes, who, who here likes waiting in lines? If you like waiting in lines, I have a store to recommend you. It's called Walmart, where they'll have 3,000 lines, but only two are open, right? So, um, now, most of us would agree that waiting on hold or waiting in line are, or waiting for your food are, in the grand scheme of life, are, are, are petty inconveniences, right? I mean, at the moment... Especially if you're hangry, it can feel like something that is really, really serious. But when it comes to the important issues of our life, our inability to wait is often the root of some of our problems in life. For instance, in light uh, of some of your past regret, when you look back on it, isn't it true that some of your past regret stems from an area of life where you're if you're honest with yourself, we are just willing, you were unwilling to wait. And what's frustrating is that when we try to, try to wait and be patient, we actually try to practice some discipline in our life. It rarely seems like there's a payoff. And maybe you're like me, like me who have asked the question in the season of waiting, God, will you ever show up? Like I'm doing what you want me to do. I, I'm being obedient. I'm doing the things that I should. But come on, God. Or maybe it's just me, maybe it's maybe it's only me who's ever found myself praying and praying and praying, and it seems like God, seems like God is not responding. Maybe it's just me who feels like, despite <clears throat> realigning the decisions of my life to be more disciplined, to be more obedient to God. Instead of feeling like God is blessing my life, it feels like I'm stuck and I'm going nowhere. Maybe you've never felt this way. Maybe for you, you've never felt stuck. You've never had to wait. But I know that there are others who have. In fact, A guy by the name of King David once wrote in a journal entry a few thousand years ago. He wrote this. He said this in Psalm 13, verse 1. He said, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart? Every day day. Of course, <clears throat> some of you are like, oh, I know, I know where David was talking. I know that passage of Scripture. And yes, David's questions were a unique response to his situation. But the fact was that David's questions were not that at all unique to how we respond To the waiting in our life. In fact, all of the men and women we read about in the Bible have asked similar questions. And if you were honest with yourself, you have asked yourself similar questions in a season of waiting in your life. Some of you asked, How long before we have a child? How long before I find that special someone in my life? How long before my marriage starts to find traction? How long before this depression finally lifts? How long must I suffer in this season? And the answer that God often gives to the questions that have been asked throughout history is, wait. Wait on God. Wait on His timing. That's why in a separate writing, David says this in Psalms 37, verse 7, Be still in the presence of the Lord. And wait patiently for him to act. Now, there's a lot of mystery to waiting. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Christmas story is a story of waiting. And when we read the ancient Jewish scriptures, which is what we call the Old Testament, it is filled with... Jewish history and specific prophecies of how God was going to send a Messiah, a deliverer to rescue Israel and be a savior to them. And there were several indications that this savior would show up as a baby. And as exciting as that was to the Jewish people, it was also very frustrating because these prophecies were scattered over really long periods of time. In fact, it was about 2,000 years. And so eventually these prophecies started to feel... More like an urban legend or some kind of conspiracy theory. Everybody talked about it. It was supposed to happen, but everybody had their doubts. And so what happened was from one generation to the next generation's people's hearts, as you would imagine, would become more calloused to this idea that God was going to send a deliverer. That they would become more cynical of the fact that God was going to send. A savior. And who can blame them? Because 99.9% of the Jews, people never saw God do anything in their midst. In fact, I don't know if you realize this, but from the beginning of the New Testament, or actually to say it more correctly, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, uh, Old Test, beginning of the Old, end of the, oh, I can't say it right. From the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there's about 400 years of, leading up to the birth of Christ, where nothing good seemed to happen for the people of Israel. No book of the Bible is written, no prophet speaks, nothing significant seems to happen. It felt as if though God was absent. And despite this, there were still some Jewish people living their lives every day in obedience to God's commands, holding on to these ancient promises and believing that at any moment the Messiah would arrive. In fact, in Luke 2, we read about one of these individuals. It says this in Luke 2, 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And so, even though most of Israel at this time had given up on waiting, there was still a handful, there was still a remnant of people like Simeon who would stand in the streets singing, singing, that ancient psalm. You know what it is. Don't stop believing. Right? <laughs> right? But no, there was still a remnant of people who were still believing that God would send a Savior. And this is so relevant for us today because at some point in our journey of faith in Jesus, God will seem quiet. God will seem distant, and we will wonder, why am I living like this? Why am I attending church gatherings? Why am I giving? Why am I serving? Why am I caring about my morals? Why do I care about how I treat others? They don't care about me. Why am I constantly trying to work on the issues of my life that I know separate me from God's will? Why am I living like there's something bigger than me? Like, why am I living like this? Am I living like this because I'm afraid of letting someone down? Am, am, I, am I living like this simply because it was how I was raised? Or maybe is this just some superstition that I've kind of latched onto? Like, why am I living like this? In the Christmas story, to me, is a big deal because it addresses this issue of waiting. Simeon wasn't alone in his waiting. Others were holding on to these ancient promises of a coming Messiah. And two of these people were Zechariah and Elizabeth. Some of you might know who I'm talking about. In Luke chapter 1, we read about them. It says this starting in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive. And both of them were well along in years. So we have Zechariah here. He's a priest. And he and his wife are at an age where they can no longer have children. We don't know exactly what that means, but it probably means that they were older than 50-ish, right? And a little later in Luke chapter 1, we learn that they're living in what we would call a small rural town, a hill city You know, we could call it, I don't know, Watertown, (laughs) Waconia, or I don't know what, what a small town is that you know of. And at the risk of oversimplifying things, here we have a picture of an elderly couple who have given their lives to caring for a small number of people in their own town at a local synagogue, And have been faithful all of their lives to doing God's will where God had planted them. As a matter of fact, when Zechariah was just a child, the Jewish people lost their independence. I don't know if you know this about the the, the history of the Jewish nation. And with that as a background to his childhood, it is even more amazing that Zechariah still goes into the priesthood and serves God his entire life. He was faithful to God, even though he must have had a lot of questions about God's activity in their nation. And even though they knew that the tiny nation of Israel was barely hanging on at that point, being conquered, living under the oppression of other greater nations, they still believed. And it wasn't because everything was going great in their life. Remember, they're well in their years, as the scripture tells us, and have, been able, have, have, have not been able to have children. And in that time and in that culture, if a woman couldn't have children, everyone thought that it was what? Her fault. Like, you know, science, now we know that it's, it's not always a woman's fault, but they didn't have that back then. And because of the way they had that kind of thinking, people assumed a woman who could not have a child was what? Cursed by God. And so in this society, women didn't have much value other than making babies. They had no political standing. They were usually uneducated. They couldn't really work outside the home. And so there was a lot of shame and emotional pain from being unable to have kids. On top of that, not having children was financially devastating. Catch this if you don't understand. Because people relied on their kids to care for them and provide for them during their retirement years. There was no 401k. It was literally your children taking care of you. And in the face of their realities, Elizabeth and Zechariah could have either become bitter with God or found another God, but they didn't do any of that. Instead, they stayed and continued to love each other and be faithful to God. And then one day, after decades of trying to have children, God sends an angel. You'll read this in Luke chapter 1 to tell Zachariah that he and his wife will not only have a child, but that that this child will have a significant part in preparing the way for the coming, wait for it, Messiah. And several months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, we read this. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, some of you are like, I've heard this story before. Wait, wait. Isn't this the beginning of the Christmas story? Ding, 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 ding. Yes, this is the beginning of the Christmas story. Jesus is about to be born. And when it became evident to Zachariah and Mary, uh, when it became evident to Zachariah that Mary's child was the promised Messiah, listen to the words that he speaks. In verse 68, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. And now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. In other words, Zechariah was saying, God did not forget. He kept his promises. Even though so much time had passed, God was still Faithful. And through these characters of the Christmas story, we're reminded that life is filled with waiting and that when we find ourselves becoming discouraged or disappointed or starting to doubt if God even cares, here's a few things that I think is important for us to remember. And this is where I'll take some liberties to maybe be Pastor Phil. First thing I think that's really important for us to remember is that harvest always happens in a different season than we sow. Like harvest always happens in a different season than. Now, some of you aren't agricultural people, but I think most of us understand what it means to collect a harvest in a different season than you sow. King Solomon heralded as the wisest person who ever lived, wise in the fact that, not that he made the most the best decisions, but that he understood with the clearest mindset what was God's doing and what was God's purpose in the world. But he observed this about the truth in life. He said this in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 verse 2. For everything there's a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to born, a time to die. Then he said there's a time to plant and a time to what? Harvest. And so life is filled with seasons. But we always get the results of what we plant in life. In another season. Never in the same season. In many ways, Zechariah and Elizabeth planted seeds that didn't get realized until later. As we already said, despite them not being able to bear children, and, and, you know, in verse 25 of Luke chapter 1 uh, Elizabeth will admit that it was a disgrace by all round for her not to be able to have children. Despite living decades of disgrace, Zachariah and Elizabeth continued to invest in their relationship. They did not give up on each other, which was really common practice at that time. A man would divorce his wife, could not bring could not bring an heir or whatever. And so this was very... common. But they didn't do that. And on top of that, they lived, as verse 6 would tell us, righteous lives, obeying all God's commands. And really, this points to another truth, that when we are in a season of waiting where we don't know what to do, we should be faithful to do what we know to do. Galatians 6, verse 9 tells us, let not... Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time. If we don't give up, if we don't give up. So the question is, in what area of your life are you in a season of waiting? Are you doing all that you know to do? Like, despite the fact of all the things that you don't know That you're supposed to do, all the questions that you have about the future. I get that. But like right now, what do you know you're supposed to do and are you doing that? Because often how you respond in the waiting is what determines the harvest in the next season. Last week I spoke about how thankful I was for the faithfulness of those who have been over these past few years investing in being a part of this local fellowship, whether it's through repurposing your rhythms and resources so that Clarity can be a disciple-making community, or it's, it's, uh, it's, it's praying and, and, and being committed to life on life through communities. And here's the truth. We are in a season of waiting as a church. We're waiting on God, as we talked about a year ago, to amplify his work of the gospel through us. We're waiting for him to build his church as well as provide for a building. And while we wait, we continue to do what we know we are to do while we wait for that. We serve each other. We serve our community. We gather for fellowship, communion, worship, the study of God's word. We practice the discipline as prayer as well as tithing. We also continue to trust God by giving above and beyond towards our Amplify campaign, which some of you weren't here. Can you believe that since we started our campaign, we have raised over $105,000 of the three hundred and twenty that God put on our heart to raise over the next three years? But Phil, I've been planting financial seeds, seeds of service, seeds of love, seeds of prayer, seeds of sacrifice, and I get that I won't see immediate results, but some days it just feels like my heart can't take it. Like, when is God going to do his thing in my life? And while I'm waiting, what am I supposed to do? Like, what am I supposed to do? Some of you may have seen this verse on some kind of Christian wall artwork or coffee mug. Isaiah 40, 31, says this, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And this is a very interesting thing. I don't know if you know that when the gospel of Mark speaks about this son of Zachariah and Elizabeth, when it speaks of John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1. Did you know that in setting up the story to talk about John the Baptist, do you know where he quotes from? Isaiah chapter 40. The same chapter that we read on this idea of waiting from the Lord. He reads from the beginning where it says, A voice calling out, preparing the way of the Lord. And this is because there's often, listen, there's often a direct connection in the Scripture to the journey of waiting for God's providence and His desire for us to seek His presence. Often when I sit down with people who have committed to following Jesus and have found themselves in a season of waiting, I ask them this question, and not just because I'm a pastor and this is what pastors ask, but because it's actually a really good question. Question I ask them this How is your relationship with Jesus going? And nine times out of ten, they're taken back as though I'm saying that they are not ex- experiencing God's providence in their life because, aren't, because they aren't investing time in their relationship with God in prayer, in worship, in studying His Word. In fact, uh, oftentimes when I'll sit with couples who are going through a hard time, the first thing I'll encourage them to do is like, get back into the word. Have you been praying? Have you been worshiping? Have you been fasting? Have you been spending time with the Lord? And I'll tell you 100% of the time in those situations they will say, "No." Why? Because life has been so difficult. They just haven't and I just said, "Look, the first thing you need to do before you guys even want to make things right between yourself, you've got to figure out how to right the relationship between you and your heavenly father. And for those that take that encouragement to heart to lean into God in a season of waiting, waiting for God to show up in a hopeless situation, waiting for God to show up in a season where they're waiting for for something that they can't do themselves, when they take that encouragement to heart and always realize that God's most significant work in their life isn't what he does for them, but what he accomplishes with them, and within them, when they lean into their relationship with Him, they find that seeking God's presence actually leads to the providing of all that they need. It actually sounds like something Jesus said, did He not, in Matthew 6, where He said, Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And then what? All the things that you've been waiting for, that you've been hoping for, will be what? Given to you. Seasons of waiting on God's providence are often seasons we need to embrace God's presence. After all, this is why we remember at Christmas time that Mary's son was not only to be named Jesus, but that he would also be called what? Emmanuel, God, with us.